In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christmas Eve here is always such a beautiful service. It's such a joy to sing with you all, to worship with you all. The flowers are lovely, the candlelight's lovely, the singing is joyous. And being here at church is simply nostalgic. And the whole service is romantic. Romantic in the best sense of the word. One of the most basic and one of the most glorious facts of Christmas, however, is not romantic. It's not lovely at all to those who do not know the whole story. This big idea, the big idea of Christmas, the big idea that we call the gospel, is that Christ has come in the flesh to be rejected. John chapter 1 tells us this in sweeping terms. He tells us, he came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. We see this in the nativity story in Luke chapter 2. Joseph brings Mary to Bethlehem to the census, because Bethlehem is the place where their family origins are. And almost certainly, Joseph has extended family there. Now I know we're used to seeing nativity plays with an innkeeper telling Mary and Joseph that there's no more vacant hotel rooms. Well, almost certainly there were not hotels in Bethlehem. Rather, the word that gets translated traditionally as in simply means guest room or lodging place. The picture Luke wants to give us is not that Mary and Joseph are simply being turned away from a business that's too full. No, they're being turned away even by family. Their family homestead is too full to give them lodging, too full to give Mary, who's about to have her child, a safe room, a safe bed. And in turning away Mary and Joseph, the household has turned away the Christ child. The infant child was not even received by his family. And this makes it all the more remarkable who does receive him. Shepherds, men who were considered to be thieves, because they moved around from place to place with their flocks. Men who were <clears throat> undoubtedly dirty and filthy and unrefined. Those are the men who came to greet the Lord. But Christ was rejected by the very ones that should have truly embraced him. The infant Christ is rejected by King Herod, who sees the birth of the Messiah, not as the one who will bring the blessing of God's kingdom, but as a political rival. Herod suspects in his own heart, in his own wicked heart, that his kingship is illegitimate. And in that case, he knows that Christ has come to judge him. And so he rejects Christ and tries to murder him. And again, who embraces Christ? Three kings or three wise men, in any case, from outside Israel. Three court officials from the east come to embrace the Messiah while the king who was supposed to be reigning over God's people <coughs> seeks to murder him. Christ has come to be rejected. The pattern plays over and over in his ministry. He's rejected the first time he teaches and preaches in his hometown. He's rejected by scholars, he's rejected by chief priests. Eventually he will even be rejected by those who called him the Christ when everyone abandons him at his crucifixion. Yes, he has come to be rejected. And this is the story since creation. Tonight we've heard readings from the very beginning of Genesis. And their story after story 
of the people of God rejecting God. Adam and Eve rejected God in favor of the serpent's lies. Abraham's children will turn away from the Lord over and over. And now on the first Christmas night, the people of God will again not recognize that God has come to them. The story of rejection is sometimes what we call Christ's humiliation. That Christ has humbled himself for us. He has subjected himself to the darkness of this world. All of the circumstances we suffer in this world, Christ himself has also suffered. Christ has been rejected by his family. Christ has been persecuted by the government. Christ has mourned the death of loved ones. Christ has made himself subject to hunger and thirst. Christ has lived with the forces of nature just as we do. He has felt the sweltering sun. He has shivered through the cold wind. Christ has felt the exhaustion of hard work. He has felt the emotional and psychological pain of suffering in this world. The fact that Christ was rejected so often, so thoroughly by so many in the world, tells us for sure that Christ knows the pain of this world. And so we don't let the beauty of this night distract us from the first basic fact of Christ's incarnation, which is that he became flesh and dwelt among us to suffer for us. He was not laid in a beautiful, safe crib when he was born. He was laid in a manger. He was laid where animals come to feed. He was not kept warm next to a glowing fireplace with clean blankets. Rather, he was wrapped up in rags and slept in a barn or cave among animals. As he grew, he would not grow in the luxury and opulence of this world. He would not live his life in great fanfare, and he would die painfully and alone. What then do we celebrate tonight? Why all the trouble to light so many candles? Why stay up late for church this night? Why sing so many hymns? Why read so many scriptures? Why sit with our families at our tables and feast? Why exchange gifts? Well, the Gospel of John has told, has told us. We celebrate because Christ came in the darkness of rejection and suffering. But as John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome the light of the world. Indeed, darkness is the lack of light. So wherever there is light, darkness is dispelled. Darkness cannot overcome the light. Nor can the darkness of this world overcome the light which has come to us this night. Tonight, we receive the light of the world. We receive the one who was rejected, the one who suffered for us. For us. Those are the key words. Christ has come tonight for us. In one of his Christmas sermons, St. Ambrose writes, Jesus became an infant and a child so that you might be a complete person. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes so that you might be absolved from the bonds of death. He was in a manger so that you might come to his altar. He was on earth so that you might be in heaven. He had no room so that you might have mansions in heaven. In other words, Christ has come to redeem you. He has come to take on the full sin and darkness of this world and to give you all light and all goodness. This is what Martin Luther calls the happy exchange. 
Christ takes the full punishment, the full consequences of sin. He takes on the evil of this world. In exchange, he gives us light and life and salvation. The Gospel of John again says Christ is the true light that enlightens everyone. That all who receive him, he gives the right to be called the children of God. If you receive one gift this Christmas, receive the Christ child who has come to bring you life. You might enjoy the singing tonight. You might enjoy the candles. You might enjoy the nostalgia and festivities of this holiday. And I truly hope you do. But the festivities are first about receiving Christ who has come for you. Christ has come to bring light into all the dark places of your life. He has come for the forgiveness of your sins. He has come to give you life, so do not reject him. Receive him as the Lord who gives you life. Receive him as the one who will bring light into your life. Receive him as the one who has reconciled God and sinner. Receive him who was born that you no more may die. Amen.